Well, thus far, no one's taken me up on it. So leave me here all by myself. Uh, Annabelle, thank you. Uh, we're gonna <laughs> start this one off with a bang. Real positive stuff, but I don't know if you know this. I'm gonna probably shake some cages here. Or rather, I don't know how to shake some, whatever. We're, uh, we're not going to be around forever. Here, anyway. And uh, I know, I know this is controversial. None of us knew this. Um, we aren't probably going to live forever in this life, um, provided, you know, the good Lord doesn't come back before. Each of us will have checked out of this hotel and made our journey elsewhere. And where it depends on our decisions now. But the older we get, and you know, you look at me and say whatever, but I, I am getting older. We all are. But the older we get, um, the more this weighs on us. And uh, I know this is a good start. And uh, aches and pains become more prevalent. It takes us longer to bounce back from sickness or injuries. The wrinkles get deeper. <laughs> More and more friends and loved ones have made the voyage before us. Uh, we're all too often reminded of the frailty and brevity of this life. And as we edge closer and closer to those heavenly shores, we're often faced with the question, what have I done with this life? And what am I leaving behind? This sounds like a funeral message, but maybe it is. But what am I leaving to my children or my grandchildren or nieces or nephews or the next generation. What am I passing on? What is the inheritance I'm leaving them? My father passed from this life on the day before he turned 37. He didn't leave us with much. I had this um, sweet bolo tie, if you know what that is, from him that broke, so I can't even wear it. Not that I would anyway. I'm not a cowboy, but... Uh, I've got my awesome red Game Boy that still works somehow. And uh, my incredible sense of humor and ruggedly handsome good looks. That's from him. But that's about all I've got from him. And unfortunately, he didn't leave me his luscious locks. I inherited my full head of hair from my mother's side. But that's, that's about all that um, I have, really, and memories and, you know, those sorts of things. But... Um, some of us, we've got maybe fun set up for our children or our grandchildren, or we got um, special items we plan on leaving to them. I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. There's a man named Louis Carlo de Nohor... No, my name is so long and I have practiced it. Louis Carlo de Norona Cabral de Camara. There you go, that's a good name. It's Portuguese, and he, um, he spent... A lot of his time alone and grew to distrust the government who, and he would eventually, um, sorry, the government would take his money after he passed because he didn't have any descendants. And, um, and he claimed the government had been robbing him of money all his life and so he didn't want that to happen and so Louis produced uh, a plan to split up his estate among people who would appreciate it. So he picked up a copy of the Lisbon phone book and selected 70 people at random to inherit his huge fortune. And just picked names out of the phone book, and then when he died, they got the money. Millions of dollars. 
That would be nice. <laughs> Comedian Jack Benny um, left something behind for his wife and his will. He died in 1974, and uh, during his lifetime, he was known for his perfect comedic timing and um, the way he would pause when he was telling jokes. But in his death, he became known for leaving behind one of the most sweetest gestures of all time. He arranged in his will for his wife Mary to receive a long a single long stemmed rose every day for the rest of her life. When she eventually passed away, she had received over 3,200 red roses from her late husband. Now that one's nice. But, uh, and then 1948, John um, Stowowi accepted a unique proposition. Instead of buying one house in Reduction, Pennsylvania, it's going to blow your minds, he took out $10,000 from the bank and bought all 18 houses plus the road and the town's other structures. So he bought the entire town for 18000 in 1948. By the time he passed away in 2016, he had served as the town's engineer, public's work chief and mayor, and according to Fox Business, he left the entire town to his children. Now that's a good thing to inherit. 10000 whatever, that's crazy. Most of us, we aren't in a position just to pick random names out of a phone book, if we even have those anymore, um, to leave our fortune to, nor do we own entire towns. Um, but each of us has a unique opportunity to leave something behind, to hand something to the next generation, to our children, and their children, even their children if possible, and if we don't have children, to the children here, to the younger generation that is around us. And I'm here today because my grandparents came into the troop, and I'm here also because my mother was picked up for, a Sunday, for Sunday school on a bus out in the middle of nowhere in Ontario. Somebody picked her up, and that's how I ended up here. These two um, families coming together. I was raised in this. I inherited this faith, if you will, and I've not really known anything else, and I'm not complaining about that. And my children... Will, are now being raised in the same, and God willing, they will be fourth generation apostolic. If you go back to my grandparents, there's a, but there's a little talked about theme that we find through the Bible, and that is the passing on of our testimonies, our stories about God, who He is, and what He's done for us, passing it on to the next generation, to the generations to follow. And, um, you know, we have the Bible, it's written down, but back then they just passed it on word of mouth. And if somebody stopped, they didn't get it. And it was a very big deal. And we'd all like to leave our children and grandchildren with financial blessings, but this is a more important thing that we can do. And it's one thing that we can all do. We may not be in a position to pay for all the things we like to pay for, but we can pass on our faith. One of the most famous feasts and celebrations in Jewish culture and even um, in the Bible is the Passover, where the death angel passed over the houses of the Israelites because they had applied blood to the doorpost of their home in obedience to the word of God the night when Israel was delivered from Egypt. Most of us, I think, are familiar with this story. If you aren't, it's found in the book of Exodus. and You can read that later. But that's one of the most famous feasts in, in the Bible and still celebrated today. And there's a whole ceremony that's done. The meat is prepared a certain way. There's no leaven in the, in the meal that's eaten while standing. And um, they got to wear certain things. And they got to eat everything, not leave any leftovers. 
That's a good problem to have. That's a good thing to do in a feast. And they do all these different things. And they were told to do this by God every year for the rest of forever. Just to continually do it. And, um, you know, we can talk about what each part of the ceremony means and represents. But God said, this is the purpose of this. If this will work for me. And we'll go to the next one. In Exodus chapter 12, um, verse 24. It says, You shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you shall be come to the land which the Lord will give you according as he hath promised. Then you shall keep the service. So when you come to the promised land, you're going to keep doing it. Verse 26. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say to you, What mean ye by this service? Why are we doing this? Verse 27, and then ye shall say it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. God said the whole reason for this, the whole purpose for keeping this feast year after year after year after year is so your children will ask you, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? What is the point of us having this feast? What is the point of doing this and getting together and wearing this and do, eating this and not that? And what is the point of what we're doing? And he said, the whole reason for doing this is so they will ask you why. And you can say to them, we're doing this because God did something for us. We are doing this because God delivered us from Egypt. We're doing this to remember what God has done for our people. And God put it in his law that they hold this feast every year just to get the people to talk and tell their children about how great and powerful he is and to remind them of what God had done for them. God thought it was so important that the next generation knows what the previous generation experienced, that he set up an entire feast and to remind them to tell their children every year. That's how it, important it is for us to pass it on. God put it in the law that they would pass it on. When we're worried about what we're going to leave behind, and the Bible teaches us that the material things we leave behind are not what's important. It's the spiritual that matters. Matthew 6 and 19. It says, Lay, up, uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through to steal. What thieves would often do, seeing as houses in those days that are just made out of clay, you could just simply dig a hole in the wall and break in that way. It wasn't very challenging or difficult to do. And so these people that Jesus is talking to in this verse, they would store something somewhere. They would have a separate room and they would seal it off and they would keep all their treasures in there. Um, you know, in the back room somewhere, thinking all the while that it was there. And then they would go and check in it. And one day, it would be gone. Either the moths had eaten the clothes they stored, or the rust had ruined the gold or the silver or bronze or whatever metal things were made out of. Or someone had just dug a hole in and taken it. The problem with laying out these treasures on earth is we rely on them for happiness and for peace of mind. I haven't referenced Anne in a, in a bit. In a bit. But in the book, Anne of Green Gables, Matthew Cuthbert, you might be familiar with him. You should be if you've been here long enough. He dies of a shock-induced heart attack when he looks at his bank statement and finds out that all of his 
money is gone, the bank goes under, they lose everything. Poor old Matthew had put all his hope and treasure in the bank and it failed him. And it took his life. This is what happens in the book. And we rely on, when we rely on stuff for happiness or for peace of mind, and it always comes crashing down and never lasts. Imagine being these people in Jesus' day, going to check on your little treasure store, um, store and opening the door and seeing the light shine through a hole in the wall where somebody else had come in and taken it and you didn't realize. And you look around and you slowly realize that everything that you've saved and everything you've stored up is gone. It's be pretty, pretty heartbreaking. We cannot rely on treasures to bring us peace and happiness because they can be destroyed and they don't last. There could be a house fire. There could be a flood. There could be things that happen in our lives that we lose things. We may have to move across the world. We can't take everything with us. We may, um, you know, or a thief may break in and steal stuff or we get a dog and she destroys things. Who knows? Or you could have children. Things happen. <clears throat> we can't rely on stuff. I don't know how many things I broke in my mother's. She collected music boxes for a while. Some of them are not whole. They just kind of put them back. So the next person that touches it magically breaks it. But we can't rely on these things and stuff for peace and joy and happiness. Because they're going to fail us. And the other thing is, you can't take it with you. I know this is a depressing message so far. But let's keep it. <laughs> but when we die, our treasures stay here. And Luke's version of Jesus' teaching about this, he gives a parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. It says, He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plenty, plentiful. Verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room um, to bestow my fruits. I've got so much stuff, I've got nowhere to keep it. Verse 18, and he said this, will I do? I'll pull down my barns and build greater. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will put all my fruits and my goods. Um, verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, that's what I say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just take a break. Let's just rest. Soul, you've done good. Verse 20, and God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? In 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God says it's foolish for us to store up treasures for ourselves because we don't know when it's going to end. This is a good one. We're going to take a turn to get even better. But it says, like, you don't know. And I'm sure we're all aware of that by now. You can't take it with you. There's nothing wrong with leaving things for your kids or providing for your family, but like everything in the New Testament, it all comes down to a matter of our heart. Yeah. And if you're looking to stuff for comfort and joy and peace instead of Jesus, it's going to come crashing down around us, and it's not really going to amount to a hill of beans, they say. And so, in the grand scheme of things, when we die, <laughs> the stuff we leave, I mean, it might help a little bit, but that's it. In my game board, it's still going. It'll probably still be going. I don't know. There's one that went through a bomb. And it's still working. It's in a museum somewhere. Crazy. How they used to make things back in the day. But I mean, it's not going to really impact my family the way that, you know, I think it will. 
when we hear um, verses like this, you know, talking about treasures, we often tend to think, you know, the rich folk, because they got the treasures. But Jesus was teaching to his disciples here. Most of them are very young. Um, they come from working backgrounds, fishermen, a lot of them, not lobster fishermen. <laughs> and these guys, they don't have a lot. And um, it's not just rich, rich people who store treasures. Anything can be a treasure if we see it that way. So sometimes you write off scriptures and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. But anything can be a treasure. One of the things I've told you before, but when we were in Africa, that kind of blew my mind was how happy people are. Because when you see it presented here, everyone's miserable and depressed and they can't afford anything to eat and they're all starving. And then you go there and everyone's happy and loving life and that's the opposite. But um, according to USA Today, where we were in Benin, that's the 25th poorest country in the world. About half of the population lives on $1.90 or less a day, and over three quarters live on $3.20 or less a day. But yet they're happy. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with their faith in God. If you talk to, you can hear, no one believes in God anymore, but you know, just in general. And over there, everyone believes in something. And uh, they may not know the full truth, but they believe in God. If you go, one of my favorite things about, um, at least West Africa, is everything's named after God. You got like Son of God fishing boat. And you've got like God is good hair salon. Like it's, it's hilarious. You got people with their taxis and they got like Jehovah taxis. I don't know, just all kinds of things. Whatever biblical thing you can think of. They just put it on everything because that's what they put their faith in and they hope that God's going to bless them if they do that, I guess. But um, They believe in God and, and in our ever-increasing godless society, peace and joy and happiness seem to be going down and down and down. And I think those two are connected. Amen. Um, but anyways, we'll move on. But the Bible... Um, the biblical expectation for us is to pass on the spiritual side of things to um, the next generation. And God, I believe, knew that this wasn't something that would come natural for us. So he puts it in the law. And he makes, puts our measures in place so that we would. Back to the Exodus. Why are we keeping this feast? Why are we killing a lamb? Why are we doing this? Why are we bringing this sacrifice every year. And they did that so the kids would ask, and so the parents would have to answer them and say, well, because God delivered us, and then they'd be reminded of what he'd done. Why are we going to church again? Has anyone ever asked that? Has anyone's kids ever asked that? Yeah? Because God's been good to us. We're going to serve him. We're going to worship him together. Why do I have to dress like this? Because God saved us and called us out of darkness, and it was marvelous light. Why do we not watch these things? Why do we not go to these places when everyone else does? And Because God has called us to a life of holiness and he's been good to us and we want to honor him. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Because God said this or God did that for us. We've got to pass it on to the next generation. That's what we're supposed to leave them. You can leave the money if you've got it. You can leave them the house if you want. You better, but you'd, be, you'd better leave them with a love for God and the things of God. Teach them to pray. Teach them to praise. Teach them how to worship. Teach them how to be faithful. Teach them how to serve God. Teach them 
how to be holy. Teach them how to live for God because that is what really matters. If you go back to the book of Exodus, God is talking uh, about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a week-long celebration that ends with the Passover meal. And again, he says in chapter 13, he says, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying that this is done because of that which the, the Lord did un, unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Verse 9, It shall be a sign, shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. We're doing this so that God's word will be in your mouth, he said. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Verse 10, Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. And verse 14, it says, And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this that thou shalt say unto him? By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of from Egypt from the house of bondage. We're supposed to live in such a way that our children ask, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we going? Why? Nobody else in my school does. No one else in my class does. Why, am I, why are we doing this? Why do we go every Sunday? Why are we doing this? God didn't say, if your son asks. He says, when he asks you. It's going to happen. We have to live in such a way that our grandchildren say, you know, Raymond, why do you go to church every Sunday? You don't need to. Why do you do this? I'm sure it's happened to some of you. Why do you, why do, you do this? Your neighbors last. Why do you do this? Why do you? God didn't say if. He said when. And when they ask, we are supposed to have an answer. God gives them an answer to give them. There's an answer to why we do what we do. And the answer is not just because that's what we do or because I told you so. Now I might step on toes and why not? Been having it easy lately. But when you're asked, why are we doing this? Why do we dress like this? Why do we talk like this? Why do we not do this or that? You're supposed to have an answer. You say, Whatever the Bible says to answer that question. We've been around for a bit, most of us. We should know what we believe by now. We should know why we believe what we believe by now. Yes. Yes. You should. Yes. Amen. And if you don't, get learning. Amen. Get in the Word. Yes. There's no excuse. No. There's no excuse for you not to be able to answer. When your child or grandchild asks you something about the Bible, you should know it. Yes. And the answer is not, go talk to the pastor. You should know it. Yes. I know it. Yes. Sure, they can come to me. If you're new and you don't know everything, fine. We'll figure it out together. But don't be the... I shouldn't be the default. Go ask your Sunday school teacher. Go ask your pastor. You give them the answer. That's what God said. When your son comes to you and you, he asks you, you tell them this. He didn't say, go to Moses. Go to whoever's in charge. Go find the priest. He said, you answer them. We need to know the word. And if we don't, we better start learning. The principle here is we answer with the word of God. Not just because I told you so. That's because of what we do. God has given us the answers. And if it's not in the word, then... I don't know, you're on your own there. 
Don't come to me either, because I'm not backing it up if it's not in there. But we can't, we can't give them an answer unless we know what the word says. If we don't know, how can they know? They're coming to us because they want to know. They're asking us because they want to know, and we have to be able to tell them. So we got to get in the word, we got to know what it says. We've got generations raised by people who just said, because I said so, and that's what the pastor preaches, and that's what the church believes, and they've never taught their children or grandchildren why, and maybe it's because they don't know, and maybe they were told because I said so, and maybe it's just a vicious cycle we're stuck in, and if that's the case, we need to get in there and figure it out and give them an answer based on the word. And if it's a vicious cycle, we need to break it. All right. We all good? We'll have a picnic after and forget about all this. But we are failing the next generation if we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. We're just wasting our time. If we don't know why <laughs> we believe you should be baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost or repent or be faithful or... Well, a couple of you are with me. If we can't answer them why, we're failing them. And it can't be that's what we've always done. That's not what the Bible says. Well, that's what, just tell them that's what we've always done. Don't worry about it. And they'll be fine. Tell them because I said so. Tell them because Moses said so. God said, you tell them. This is the answer. This is my word. You tell them. You tell them this. As parents, as grandparents, as elders and saints in the church, as teachers, whatever, we have to know because they are going to ask. I'm sure everyone here has been asked by somebody at some point. Someone is going to ask and we need to know. What are we passing on? Is it just stuff? Are we passing on the spiritual things as well? Are we showing them? Are we teaching them? The Great Commission is what? Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Disciples are made and disciples are taught. They are shown how to do it. The best disciples you have are the ones in your house. Or the ones who come over on the weekends. Or the ones that come for visits. The ones you're already connected to. Yeah, you can make disciples of others. You should. But don't neglect the ones in your family. We've got to know why we do it. And they've got to know as well. Deuteronomy is one of the books of the law. And it's the book where... One of the foundational doctrines of the Jewish faith in ours, too, is found in Deuteronomy 6, um, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And we love that. And we'll preach that. And I've preached from that. And we'll, oh, yes, we get all fired up about the ass. There's one God. Yes, we serve one. He's the only one. Yes. Woo! Verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. And thou shalt tell, <laughs> thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in the house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And when thou shalt bind them a, a sign on thy hand, and thou shalt be as friendless between thine eyes, everywhere you look, everywhere you see. You should be reminded, and I shall write them upon the post of the house and on thy gates. And I've preached this before, and I'll do it again. And I shall teach them diligently to your children. It's one thing for us to know. It's another for us to teach 
to our children? What are we teaching our kids? What are we teaching the children of this assembly? To those that um, we're in contact with. Not even children, just other people that have come in or maybe haven't been around as long or whatever. Because they're watching and they're learning from us. And what are we teaching them? Because we are teaching them something by how we live. Our responsibility as parents or grown adults is to teach our children about God and teach them the ways of God and tell them that there's only one and tell them how to love him with all of our hearts and tell them or show them how to love him with all of our souls and educate them and how to love them, love him with all of their might. And if our toes aren't stepped on, maybe it will be now because believe it or not, we are teaching them right now by how we live, by how we act, by how we respond to the presence of God in a church service like this. We are teaching our children and the children of this church and the children in our families, all of these people. Whether we want to admit it or not. So the question is, what are we teaching them? Are we teaching them that we only pray when there's an emergency or it's convenient? We're teaching them that we're only Christians on Sunday, that attending and being involved in church is an option, that we only have to worship or respond when we feel like it, or we like the song, and the altar is a scary place, and you only go there every few months or so, when everyone else does, or, oh boy. That we can dress and act one way when we go to church and another the rest of the week, or we teach them it's okay to grumble and murmur and complain and be... Miserable old sourpuss. Because we're teaching them something. Or are we teaching them how to enter into his presence with praise and worship and thanksgiving? Are we teaching them how to intercede or how to hear from God or how to walk with God, how to be faithful, how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, how not to worry about all the things that are going on around them? Are we teaching them how to stand for truth when no one else is are we teaching them that living for God starts when we walk out those doors? What are we teaching them? Because we can't expect one day for them just to get it if we haven't shown them how. That's why God put it in his law. You're going to do this. You're going to do this every year. You're going you're gonna to have this feast. Several feasts a year you're going to do it. You're going to come multiple times a year to Jerusalem and you're going to sacrifice so your children know what is important. Your children know how to do it. I've told you before, but I know how to pray because men in my church showed me. I know how to worship because I watched people in my church growing up do it. And not just the people on the platform. I learned more from the others. Because you're kind of limited on the platform. You can't run the aisles on the platform. <laughs> I know how to stand for truth because I had men in my life that showed me how. I know the Bible pretty well because I had Sunday school teachers and youth leaders and Bible quizzing coaches who poured into me and taught me. And because my mother made me read it every day. Watched people go through horrible things in their lives and remain faithful, and I knew that if they could go through that, then I could go through what I was facing. They showed me and they taught me. 
And our kids aren't going to learn and get it unless we teach them. Teach them diligently comes from a word that means to wet or with an H or to sharpen. And you cannot sharpen something unless you get close to it. We got to show them how, how we live, because we're showing them one way or another. Our children are fed so much, especially the ones that go to school. We're fed so much junk and ideas and confusing stuff that needs to be removed while we teach them. Yeah. And if we just ignore it, it's going to be a lot of problems. Yeah. There's only one God and Jesus is his name and we worship him and him alone. We know that. But are we <laughs> passing it on? It's our duty to tell those after us about the goodness of God. To not make it seem like a chore. We should be more in love with Jesus than we've ever been before. And that rhymes, so it's true. That's not how it works. But some folks, I'm convinced, only come because they're scared of the alternative. They don't want to go to hell, so we better go to church. And that's the wrong reason. It's not the same as being in love with Jesus. We should be so in love with him that it just radiates through everything we do. Why are you doing that, Grammy? Why are you singing those songs, Grampy? Why are we going to church again? Daddy, why are we doing this? Why are we... Because God has been so good to me. And all my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he's been so, so good. That's why I'm doing what I do. That's why I'm here. I'm not here because... I have to come up here every day. I go to church no matter what. Always have, always will. Sometimes I wish somebody else was up here. <laughs> but Psalm, I'll move on. Psalm 145 and 4. This is oh, heavy stuff so far, I guess. Oh, verse 4 it says, One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall thy declare. Where'd you go? My mighty axe. <laughs> there we go. One generation to the next. I've been in church for a while, and one thing that's always irritated me, if you'll allow me to say this. Oh, you're doing it anyway. I'll say it anyway. One thing that's always irritated me is the expectation that's put on the young people to lead and praise and worship. <sighs> I know you're not agreeing with me. That's fine. <laughs> Growing up, we always have preachers coming, here you go, people, here you go, you need to get your heart up and They would come rip us apart. If you grew up in church, it probably happened at least once. If you've gone to any sort of thing, always ripping the young people. I don't know why. But, anyways, moving on. I don't really see that in the Bible as how it's supposed to be. It's not one generation leading the worship. Biblically, if you want to go biblically, the men are supposed to lead. Biblically, we're supposed to lead our families. Um, but it's not one generation leading another generation. Psalm 145 and 4 says, One generation shall praise thy works to another. It's a back and forth. It's a 
a give and take. You don't, oh, let's just keep going. You don't get to retire from praising. You're going to be severely disappointed in heaven. You don't get to retire from worship. You don't get to age out and collect your praise pension. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And I don't expect those of us that are experienced to run around and jump and do jumping jacks and whatever. I understand. But we get older and we slow down. Maybe we like to and we can't. That's fine. But we don't just think, well, I've been doing this long enough. I just I don't need to do it anymore. I'm going to just sit here and frown. That's not in the Bible. Behold, thou shalt grow old and frown. <laughs> I don't think it's in there. <laughs> well, anyways. Where am I? One generation praises God to the other, the Bible tells us. It's a back and forth. It's a give and take. Um, the older generation, you tell me. You tell me about how good God has been in your life. You tell me about how, how many things he's done for you, all the great miracles you've seen, all the things you've seen him do. And you show me in your praise to him how much you appreciate him. And then I'll show you and I'll tell you about the good things God's done in my life. And I'll show you by how I praise and how I worship. And maybe it'll look a little bit different because... You know, our bodies are different, but that's fine. You show me, and I'll show you. And then the generation after us, God's going to do some things in their life, and they're going to get to tell us about what God's doing in their life, and they're going to show us how they appreciate Him and how He's done things for them, and they're going to show us by how they praise, and they're going to tell us, and we're going to all do it together. That's the biblical way. You show me, I'll show you, and they'll show us. I'm in the middle somewhere. It's not one generation over another. It's one generation praising him to another. All together, all praising, all worshiping, all following God together, all going um, together. But that doesn't happen if one generation stops. Then there's, a, there's a, something missing in the chain. There's, there's something missing. If one generation decides, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, then there becomes a gap. And then the next generation doesn't know what to do. What happens then? This is going as good as I thought it would. What happens when one generation stops? Says, you know what I've done it, I don't want I don't feel like it. They should get it by now. I don't need to do it anymore. The Bible says in Judges chapter 2. Verse 10 to 11. Um, I'm sorry, Joshua, familiar with him. He's a great leader. At this point in the story, he's passed away. And the generation of Joshua, who fought for the promised land, who followed God, they've all but died off. And they failed to pass their faith on to the next generation. So Joshua, or Judges 2, 10 to 11. It says... And also, all that generation were gathered under the fathers, or they all died. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works 
which he had done for Israel. As everything was passed on word of mouth, and they hadn't told them. Verse 11, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. This incredible generation, Joshua's generation, they'd seen God do mighty things. The generation came after them and they did not know the Lord and they did not know what he had done for Israel. They weren't holding the feast. They weren't asking the questions. They weren't giving them the answers and the results for what they did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served another God. How could this happen? Joshua and his generation were one of the greatest generations of Israel ever. They had come out of the wilderness. They had crossed the Jordan River. They had they had watched their parents who didn't have faith die off before they could do it. They knew what would happen if, if they didn't believe. And they, they, they'd come out of the wilderness. They'd crossed the river. They'd eaten manna. They'd seen the walls of Jericho fall down. They'd conquered lands and nations without any military training whatsoever. They'd seen God come through and provide miracles over and over and over and over. And what happened? They failed to tell the next generation. They failed to pass it on, and they failed to teach their children the ways of God. All the miracles you've seen, great. I'm glad, good. I'm glad you've seen it. I'm glad you've experienced it. You've been delivered. That's awesome, incredible, wonderful. We rejoice. You've seen God provide and make a way when there was no way. Good for you. Good stuff. I'm glad. Genuinely, that's, that's awesome. I'm not being sarcastic, I know it sounds like it, but good. I'm glad that God's done things in your life. I'm glad that he's delivered. I'm glad that he saved you. I'm glad you have these testimonies and all that. That's wonderful, but we've got to pass it on. We've got to pass on these stories, these miracles, this way of living. We're just bringing kids to church is not enough. Just doing it for yourself is not enough. We've got to pass it on somehow. I don't know if my wife is anywhere near here, but we can use some music. If anyone sees her, let her know. You can pass on your love for certain things. Your love for cars, hockey teams, food. You can teach them how to hunt. You can teach them how to fish. You can tell them this branch of the government's good and this one's bad and whatever. You can pass on your hobbies, you can, your sense of humor, your ruggedly handsome good looks. You can pass these things on, your work ethic or whatever. And all these things are fine and good. They're all part of what makes us who we are as people. But in all, in all of your passing, don't forget to pass on your praise. Don't forget to pass on your prayer. Don't forget to pass on your faithfulness to the house of God, a love for his word, a passion or his presence. Because these are the things that matter. And these are the things that last. And I realize I've preached very long. And I want to end this different. Because we've got people here that God's done things in your life. God's provided and God's given you so I want to give you a chance at the end of this to pass something on. Don't take forever like I did. But if there's anyone that wants to share a, a story of what God's done in your life, 
Please let me know or I'll stand here awkwardly. I'll get a mic here. No, the pressure's on you now. I just talked for 44 minutes. <clears throat> this one's almost dead. Is anybody? This is your chance. Are you loud enough? See, I didn't know all of that. I knew some of it, but now I know more. That's good. That's what this is for. Pass it on. Pass it on. Is there anyone else? Put you on the spot. I'm pretty loud. <laughs> I was blessed to have a Christian dad. And even though my mom didn't go to church, my dad and when children and I married and we moved up here, I was so blessed when somebody brought me, well, it was the parsonage was our church then. I was so blessed to be taken over there and to learn the truth and have Christian people in this church that supported me. Eunice is one of them. It was such a support to us when we were first saved. And I really thankful <coughs> for that. But the other, um, the daughters, brother and sister, Allison's daughter was here this time, and Miguel. I'm thankful for the people that were kind to us and come about us and brought us to church. God has been so good to me to give me the such a wonderful, hardworking husband, a pretty beautiful son. Now Four wonderful grandchildren. I'm so proud of them. God has been truly good to me. And there's been times when we needed help financially or spiritually, and God has always been there. And I know if if you're faithful in reading the Word of God, 
He will speak to you through his word. I don't know how many times when I needed an answer to something, and it's right there in the word that day. In my Bible reading, place where I would have been reading anyway, but I had that question come to my mind, and God answered it through his word. God is so good to us. He is so good. I can't tell you how much I love him and want to be faithful to him. I'm proud of my granddaughter today. <laughs> See, I didn't know all that either. <laughs> I think Wilma wants to say something. <laughs> She'll try. <laughs> Do you want this? Yeah. Nobody wants the mic. You're all scared. Can you hear me? I can. I don't know if they can. Everybody hear me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to answer me. <laughs> Uh, no, when I started, at, well, when I was a kid growing up, my mother and, and my father always made sure that we were in church. I was Baptist at the time, but we went every Sunday, so I started there. And when I got older, then I went to the Kingston Bible College for a while. And I started to know God more there. And then when I grew up at Mount Mary, this wonderful lady sitting right here, Brenda. She invited me to come to church, which was over there at the time. I was scared to death to go. I didn't know what to expect. I said, oh boy, what's this going to be? <laughs> but it was the most wonderful experience I have ever had. And she taught me a Bible study. I started coming to church. My kids have already started previous class. They had Eunice to teach them. She was so good to them. She made them mine, <laughs> but they learned. <laughs> you sit there. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, God was so good, and so many times He has helped us helped me. Uh, I stayed faithful to him and came to church whenever I could. Sometimes it was a little difficult to get here. But there was a bus that used to pick everybody up at that time, so I joined the kids. Of course, I was a kid anyway. So I came to church, and then as I grew older and came to know God, he was so good to us, so faithful, helped me so many times. Um, there was one time that Ron was in the hospital, very sick. I was alone with the kids at home. Back then, we didn't have everything that we needed. We had a, a type of pump for getting water. It was very cold. Everything froze. All the pipelines were froze. I didn't know what to do. Piston pump, that's it. Sherman probably knows. Anyway, I had no water. And I had three kids. I had animals. They all needed water. We needed water. So I went down to the basement, which was the dirt basement at that time. And I said, what am I going to do? So I, Ron had showed me previous what to do if any time he wasn't there and that it froze. So I played with this piston, whatever you call it, to try to get water going. No way. I couldn't. It wouldn't work. I couldn't get it. 
So I'm upstairs. I sit down in the chair. The kids are there. I said, Lord, you're going to help me. I don't know how to get this thing started. We need water. I went back downstairs and touched that stupid thing exactly where I had done it before, and it took off. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It gets like I'm crazy because I'm jumping for joy. <laughs> anyway, after that few years, right, things got a little better, and then we had car accidents, and the last car accident we had, a really bad one. Not supposed to be dead, by the way. They pronounced me dead at the scene. And I couldn't say nothing. I couldn't do anything. But I can't explain it. It's hard to explain because even though I was out of it, I was somehow talking to God in my mind. I don't know how it happened or anything about it. I remember nothing about the accident. But he was there. Crazy. And I was talking to him in my mind somehow. I don't know. Anyway, after a few days, the fireman came in. He said, do you remember me holding your head for three hours? I said, no. Anyway, as I said, to make a long story short, I'm supposed to be dead. God brought me through that accident. Praise God. And I hear now, yes, yes been ups and downs and hard times through my life. Still is. We get issues going on. But God's faithful. He's brought me through so, so many things. I can't tell you the things that he's brought me through. And I know he's going to be with me and bring me through all the stuff that's going on now. And I just praise him and love him. And I just want to be faithful to him to the end. I love Amen. you so much. Oh, no. I wish to stand. I've been in this church for over 50 years. I'm not standing up to say what I've done for this church or what God has done for me since Amen. I've been in this church. Mm. I had a growth in my throat. I was standing up on the altar. I was prayed for, healed on the spot. Praise God. I never had no trouble in my throat since. That's been Praise 40 God. years ago. Praise God. I had a doctor diagnosed me with a dis disintegrating disc in my neck. I haven't got no disintegrating disc in my neck. I was prayed for sitting right in one of these seats. Praise God. Ended completely. I see my father healed of a heart attack sitting in the back seat. Yeah. Instead of taking him to the hospital, the yeah. minister came down and prayed for him. Yeah. And he died a few years later in his, in his 80s. He didn't die of a heart attack. No. He didn't have no trouble with his heart. Praise God. And uh, <clears throat> sometimes we're a little hesitant to say what we feel. I remember I was working on a job one time with a fellow from Holland that had built, bought a house over in the Bay Shore, and I was working on it. He found out I was a Christian, so he decided to make fun of me. Mm -hmm. In front of the crowd, he said, uh, you believe in that salvation stuff? I said, I'd have to believe in it because I've been, I've been saved. I fell down on my knees, confessed my sins, and the Lord saved me. He said, you believe that foolishness about healing? It's not foolishness. You may have already been healed That's several right. times. Amen. He said, that foolishness of talking in tongues and having all the good, you, you believe in that? You're too late on that one, too. I've already got it. <laughs> I've already talked in tongues. 
I've already been blessed by the Lord. He's blessed me in more ways than I've ever been able to tell. And I just wish to confess it in front of the people. Yes. Thank you. Praise God. One more. I'll make it short because I don't like to talk. Anyway, thank you. It does work. Anyway, I'm thankful for being able to come to church and all the church family, the friends that I've made over the years. I appreciate all of them and the pastor and his family. Well, there's no one else. We're gonna we're gonna sing a song. I didn't know all those stories. I knew some of them. Now I know more. I'm glad that we were able to do that. Uh, some of them, I didn't know about the pump. I didn't know that Brenda brought you. I didn't know certain things. It's good for us to tell each other about what God's done. Kind of got rid of testimony services. Some people would go forever. I took it as a preaching time, but uh, it's good to have these stories and share them. So, we're gonna praise God together. We're gonna sing a song that we've sung a few times. Why don't we just stand? Uh, let's just sing this together.